All right, I'm just going to start by praying here. Come, Holy Spirit. Open our ears to hear you. Open our eyes to see you. Lord, we just, I just want to lift up the rest of this service. I thank you for what you're doing here in this place. And I ask that just whatever truth there is in these words, that that just resonate and everything else fall away. To you be the glory and the power and the kingdom forever and ever. Amen. So good morning. My name is Jillian. It's lovely to be here with you this morning. James Earl Jones is one of the most well-known voices in modern pop culture. He's most famously known as the voice of Darth Vader in the original Star Wars trilogy. Also Mufasa and many other roles actually. So he has a celebrated Broadway and screen life and uh, he's won a Lifetime Achievement Award for advancing literacy and the arts. He's also afflicted with a lifelong debilitating stutter. He did not speak outside of his childhood home for the first eight years of his life. And the turning point in his life happened while he was in high school and he took up writing poetry and a teacher told him once, this is a really good poem. It's so good that unless you can stand in front of the class and recite it from memory, I don't believe that you wrote it. Yeah, that's a little risky move on that teacher's part. But <laughs> and he did. And for the first time in his life, he was able to manage his speech well enough to recite this poem. And what made reciting his own poem different from all other types of speech were two things. First, they were his own words. He had actual knowledge of what he was talking about, but also the fact that it was a poem, which by its very nature is different. It, there's more to it than just knowledge. A good poem is experience. Sorry, a good poet um, can see the world and have an experience and put it into words. So it's that deeper kind of knowledge that made the words flow freely for the first time ever from James Earl Jones' lips. And so like I said, this was a turning point in his, what ended up being a long and celebrated career of speaking. But in an interview, the actor is careful to point out that he was never actually cured of his stutter. Over the years, through practice and learning, he manages it. He manages it so well that his voice becomes legendary, recognizable to most of the Western world. And the driving force of what freed him to speak in the beginning was the knowledge of the words and the embodied experience of those words. But the long-term lifetime achievement caliber of speech came from diligent and obedient management over a long period of time. So knowledge, experience, and obedience. Hang on to those words, because I'm going to use them a lot today. So today's teaching is titled Freedom to See and Freedom to Speak. It's the final teaching 
from Matthew for us this year. Next week, we have Sabbath Sunday, as Heather mentioned, and then we'll be into an Advent series as we prepare for Christmas. Um, it's also the final teaching in this block of Matthew's gospel that's told us of the five miracles of grace and the five miracles of freedom. Through these miracles, Jesus starts to show the world what the kingdom of God looks like. And these stories all have a similar pattern. Someone has a crisis, they come to Jesus and he helps them with their crisis, and then one of two things happens. People are either transformed in body or in mind, or people are threatened. And the difference between the two reactions comes down to faith. Do they choose to trust Jesus or not? Do they choose to trust in this new reality that he's bringing about with his words and his actions and his very life? And for those who don't trust him, usually the religious leaders in these stories, Jesus is at first a kind of a nuisance and then eventually a very real threat to them because he changes everything they thought they knew about the world and about God. And in order to live in the kingdom Jesus is presenting, they are going to have to give up more than they are willing to. But for those who do have faith in Jesus, who accept that they don't know everything and are willing to let Jesus rewire their thinking and open their eyes to what he is presenting, they are set free from all sorts of afflictions. And it's the best possible news. So before we even get into today's teaching text, I want to go back and read for us how Jesus introduced his Sermon on the Mount, because before he gives the vision of his kingdom, he actually gives a vision of who the kingdom is for. And um, we know that is the Beatitudes. So I'm just going to start reading a few um, verses before that, though. Jesus went throughout Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom, and healing every disease and sickness among the people. News about him spread all over Syria, and people brought to him all who were ill with various diseases. Those suffering severe pain, the demon-possessed, those having seizures, and the paralyzed, and he healed them. So these are the types of people that are following Jesus at this point. They are not important. They are not well-educated. They are people in desperate need of his help. And more importantly, they are aware that they are in desperate need of his help. They're the type of people that Jesus says, I can work with this. Yeah. So these are the Beatitudes. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you and persecute you and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven. So the Beatitudes are not things we strive to be. We don't strive to mourn. We don't strive to be poor in spirit. 
Instead, there are a portrait meant to wake, change the way we see people and see their worth. Because if you hear these descriptions and you can find yourself among them in some way, then your perception is changing and you can start to see yourself and those around you the way Jesus does. You start to live in a world that only makes sense if what Jesus is saying is true. You start to see reality clearly. And this is really key. Um, in John 9, Jesus says, For judgment I have come into the world, that those who do not see may see, and those who see may become blind. There's a way, one of the primary goals of Jesus is to change our perceptions so that we can actually see what is important. And things, those are things like loving your enemy and radical generosity and faithful relationships. And this is a way of living that only makes sense in the kingdom that Jesus reveals to us. And it's, the, it's only a kingdom we can see if we allow him to open our eyes, which takes us realizing that we need his help. Okay, so that brings us to today's teaching. So it's a story that follows a similar pattern as the rest of them. Someone has a crisis, they come to Jesus, Jesus does some awesome things. And the story involves two healings, one a restoration of sight and the other a restoration of speech. And the story acts as both a summary statement of what's happened before, it addresses how we are set free, and it's a link to what's coming up next, which is what we are set free for. So if you're able, I just invite you to stand for the reading this morning. This is Matthew 9, 27 to 34. Jesus heals the blind and the mute. As Jesus went on from there, two blind men followed him, calling out, Have mercy on us, son of David. When he had gone indoors, the blind men came to him, and he asked them, Do you believe that I am able to do this? Yes, Lord, they replied. Then he touched their eyes and said, According to your faith, let it be done to you. And their sight was restored. Jesus warned them sternly, See that no one knows about this. But they went out and spread the news about him all over that region. While they were going out, a man who was demon-possessed and could not talk was brought to Jesus. And when the demon was driven out, the man who had been mute spoke. The crowd was amazed and said, Nothing like this has ever been seen in Israel. But the Pharisees said, it is by the prince of demons that he drives out demons. This is the word of the Lord. So in this story about the two blind men, we read that they follow Jesus into a house and then they have an interesting little discussion with him. And he asks them, do you believe 
that I can do this for you. Which is notable because in no other story we've read up till now does Jesus actually question someone about their faith. He's had plenty of comments about people's faith um, to the centurion. He says, I have never seen such faith. And to the disciples, he says, you of little faith. And to the paralyzed man, he sees, says he sees their faith. And to the bleeding woman, your faith has been healed. But he's never questioned someone prior to healing them before. And I just want to spend a little bit of time here this morning because it would be easy to kind of misconstrue this conversation and assume that their answer or their degree of faith has something to do with whether he will hear them, heal them or not, which is, of course, not the case. But then why is this conversation happening in the story? I'll do my best. <laughs> do you believe that I am able to do this? He asks. Yes, Lord, they reply. Then he touches their eyes and said, according to your faith, let it be done for you. A few weeks ago, Tom took a whole sermon to talk us through faith. It's called Amazing Jesus, and it's fantastic, and you should go listen to it again. And he talked about how faith is a noun and it's a verb. It's something we have, but it's also something we do. And in the case of these two men, they have some knowledge of who Jesus is. They have likely heard stories about what he can do for, and what he's done for others. But faith is not just a belief. It's something they do. So we know these men have faith because they have positioned themselves in front of Jesus with some level of trust that he might be able to help them and that maybe he can do what's never been seen before in Israel. They are inviting him to change their perspective. And of course, he does heal them. And then he says this very strange line, according to your faith, let it be done to you. Is he implying that these men had a great amount of faith and therefore he could heal them? And does it mean that when my requests I present are not answered, it's because I don't have enough faith? Well, no. Remember the analogy Tom gave of the mountain climbers who were choosing um, which rock would hold them? The one had full 100% faith that this rock was not going to crumble. And yet when he stepped on it, it fell away. And the other climber had just a little bit of faith that this rock would hold. And because he chose the right rock, it didn't fall away from him. So the validity of our faith is determined not by the strength of our faith, but the strength of the object we put our faith in. But Jesus, though willing and able to help, is not going to force his healing on anyone. What is consistent in all of these healing stories is that people need to be in front of Jesus. That by their own faith or the faith of their friends, they choose to put their trust in him. And I was kind of thinking about this in um, thinking about my children and adjusting to the new change of seasons. And so they'll, they'll come up in the morning and they want to go outside and I'll say, it's really cold out. You need to put on your coat and your mittens. And one of my children, and I'll let you figure out which one, <laughs> refuses to do this. And so he goes outside and he's in his t-shirt and I know that he'll come in in two minutes and put his coat and mittens on, but he doesn't trust me and my authority to be to say, you need to wear these warm clothes. He's, he needs to figure it out himself. And, 
Anyways, <laughs> so that's kind of how I was thinking about this. I'm not going to fight with you. I am going to let you make your own decision. It's a bad decision, and you're going to have to figure it out eventually, right? So that's kind of how Jesus is working with these guys. So he's not making a comment on the strength of their faith, but on the fact that they're putting their his, the fact that they are putting their faith in him. And in doing so, they give him authority to do something about their suffering. So these two healing stories are a culmination of the miracles of grace and the miracles of freedom. Stories where Jesus is handing out free unearned gifts to grace to anyone who has faith in him and stories that explore the freedom that that grace provides. Freedom from sin, from compartmentalizing your life, from guilt, from sickness, and even from death. And these are not stories that just show us the power of God. The miracles, though they do do that, the miracles in Matthew serve two purposes. In their simplest form, they are healings for the sake of healing, because that is the heart of God. He is drawn to our suffering. He is compelled to do something about it because he is compassion and he is grace. We see Jesus continuously moving towards the sick and the suffering to heal them. And he moves towards them personally because he understands that he won't have fully healed them unless he can impart their own belovedness on them. So that's the first reason. Healings for the sake of healing. But the miracles are pointers to an inbreaking kingdom. That's the second reason. They show that Jesus is claiming authority over all things lost to sin and that he's making all things new. The healings are magnificent in themselves, but they also point to something. The freedom these miracles provide is a gift in itself, but we are also set free for something. And it seems that Matthew has placed this particular teaching at the end here, not because it's the most impressive and not because it go, shows God's grace the clearest, but because it elicits a response from us. There is that direct question from Jesus. Do you believe that I can do this for you? Do you trust me? And if you do, then the result is a freedom to see and a freedom to speak. And that freedom is for something. So this church, this place exists for a reason. And that purpose is found in Matthew 28. We know it is the Great Commission. Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you, and behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. And we've summarized that as in Alliston as it is in heaven. So this is something I've had to have my eyes open to over my journey with Jesus, because there have been times when I've had a hard time with the word evangelism, and it conjured up images of a salesperson <laughs> rather than a follower of Jesus. And that sales pitch is not what Jesus meant, and it's not what we practiced here either. There's a really helpful term Luke uses in his gospel, in the book of Acts, and in his gospel and in the book of Acts for those who carry out Jesus's great commission, and it's the word witness. 
And this is not just a biblical word, this is a word we use all the time, um, typically in a court setting. A reliable witness has knowledge of an event from personal experience. So they need knowledge and experience, meaning if you've read a report on the crime but weren't actually there, you're not a very good witness. And if you've had personal experience, you were there, but maybe you were asleep and didn't actually see anything, you're also not a very good witness. You need both of those things. And so if we go back to our story of the blind men, um, we know that they have knowledge of who Jesus is, and now they've been healed. So they have personal experience of what he can do. So they should be able to go out and be effective witnesses, but Jesus tells them sternly, it says, not to go telling anyone. And this is my main point today. There is a third thing, an essential part of being a witness to the kingdom, and these men did not have it, and that is obedience to Jesus. Obedience is just submitting to the authority of another. N.T. Wright is a New Testament scholar, and he writes, modern Christians use the word witness to mean tell someone else about your faith. The way Luke seems to use it is tell someone else that Jesus is the world's true Lord. So to bear witness to Jesus is to live in a way that reflects that he is king and his kingdom is here even in this contested space. And living under the reign of a king requires obedience to that king. The blind men were told by Jesus sternly, do not go tell anyone about this, but they do it anyway. And the thing is, he probably told them that because going about and shouting at this point, going about and shouting about the son of David and the Messiah was going to get him killed. And though Jesus would eventually lay down his life, it wasn't time for that yet. So this is where they went wrong. He told them not to go out shouting about it, but he did not tell them to go on living like nothing had changed. And there's a subtle but important difference in that. They were blind and now they could see. Every aspect of their life was going to be different. People were going to see that they were healed. They were going to live the rest of their lives in the reality that the kingdom of God was here. So these men actually had the potential to be the very best witnesses to the kingdom, but it would require their obedience, which at this point in the story, they weren't willing to give. And to be clear, the story is not implying that you should never go out and talk about Jesus. <laughs> People talk about what they love. And so if you love Jesus, of course, he is going to come up in your day-to-day -day interactions with people, which is good because he is absolutely the truth that people need to hear. What the story is saying is that talking about Jesus being Lord without the action of living like he is Lord is not effective testimony. And there's two main reasons for that. The first is participation. Jesus is not dependent on our obedience and our efforts to get his work done. Case in point, the men in the story go out and they spread the news and another man is brought in and is healed right away. He can use all things for good. Their disobedience does not take away from Jesus's redemption, but it may take away from their participation in the redemption plan. And the second reason is empowerment. In the next section of Matthew, we're going to get to in the new year, Jesus sends out his 12 disciples 
to do the work that he alone, he alone has been doing up until this point. They are going to do amazing things. And I'm excited to get to those too. But he sends them out to be witnesses, to go out and live in a way that can only mean the kingdom of God is here, but not before empowering them. They not only had knowledge and experience of Jesus, but they were obedient to him. They practiced his way so that they could be empowered to do the work of Jesus. So James Earl Jones, he experienced freedom in his speech when he recited his own poetry because he had knowledge and experience of those words, which was great if he was only going to recite his own poetry for the rest of his life. But Darth Vader does not speak poetry. And so we don't get lifetime achievement caliber speech without dedication and obedience to the strategies that allowed him to control his voice. Knowledge and experience are not enough on their own. In Luke's gospel, Jesus is with his disciples after, after his resurrection and we read um, in Luke 24, this is what is written, the Messiah will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day and repentance for the forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations beginning at Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. I am going to send you what my father has promised, but stay in the city until you have been clothed with power from on high. And in Acts 1, he writes a similar scene. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. So at this point, the disciples have knowledge and experience. They have seen and lived with Jesus. They've seen him die and they've seen him rise from the dead. They can tell amazing stories, but without that obedience part, they don't get empowered. And without that, we don't get the birth of the church. Without obedience, we miss out on participation and empowerment. We miss out on most of what we have been set free for. The experience of the breakthrough moments of our faith journeys, the encounters with the Holy Spirit, these things fade over time. It's crazy to think that, but they eventually do. Um, and the sharing of testimony and hearing stories are so important because they build our faith. And I want to hear more of that, not less. But we need to be sure that we balance our experience with our obedience. The whole gospel asks us to, sorry, this is from the commentary I was reading. It's not my words, but <laughs> the whole gospel asks us to continue to live by faith. Live, one more time. The whole gospel asks us to continue to live by faith that which we began. How? By giving Jesus's commands the same faith we give his healing. So going through the miracle stories of the past 10 weeks has been a delight. But the grace and the freedom of those stories, they are pointers to the kingdom. And to witness the kingdom, which we are longing for in greater measure. In Alliston as it is in heaven, that is our purpose. That is why we're here. We need to go back past the miracles to Jesus's teachings and the Sermon on the Mount. And we need to bring that direct question Jesus asks with us. Do you trust me? Will you give me authority over your anger and your sex life and your finances and your relationships and your anxieties? According to your faith, let it be done. 
the areas of your life you trust me with, that is where you will see kingdom come, and that is where I will set you free. We are set free to be participants in the kingdom of God, to see the world as Jesus does and to speak his truth to those around us. But we don't only speak with our words, we speak with our lives, with the way we show empathy and love and restraint and joy, and not only our lives within a setting like this, but our whole lives. We bear witness to Jesus when we live like he is Lord in every space we inhabit. Bearing witness in a contested world brings heaven to earth. And here's the good news, is you are already doing this in so many ways. Bearing witness to Jesus in this community, with the people in this room, it looks like Josh throwing neighbor parties for his neighbors. And it looks like Brandon speaking encouragement. And it looks like Heather stopping conversations to pray and it looks like Chris and Carrie following a calling, and it looks like Audrey making sure everyone is included, and it looks like Trish telling what Jesus has done for her, and it looks like Elizabeth loving sacrificially, and I could just go on and on because it looks like your normal life when you submitted to Jesus' authority. And before you think that you need to go and get better in all of these areas, all at once, remember that just like in all of Matthew's miracle stories, our job is to get ourselves in front of Jesus. The work of healing and transformation and empowerment, those are all his jobs. By grace, through faith, we are saved. Our job is to trust him, which is hard. And obedience is hard too. If it wasn't, sin would not be a reality in the world. And that is why in this place, we order our lives around discipleship. It is why we prioritize being with Jesus so that we can become like Jesus, so that we can do what he did. We follow the way of Jesus for our renewal so that we can participate in the renewal of the world around us. And is there room for mistakes in this? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, there is. And um, a really clear picture of this is found in Acts 3. And um, yeah, so I'm just going to tell this story too. Peter and John, this is after they've been empowered. Um, they are stopped by a lame beggar and Peter heals him in the name of Jesus. And everyone around is astonished because these are ordinary men doing the work of Jesus. And I'm just going to read from Acts 3 now. When Peter saw this, he said to them, fellow Israelites, why does this surprise you? Why do you stare at us as if by our own power or godliness we had made this man walk? The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of our fathers, has glorified his servant Jesus. You handed him over to be killed, and you disowned him before Pilate, though he had, decide though he had decided to let him go. You disowned the holy and righteous one and asked that a murderer be released to you. You killed the author of life. But God raised him from the dead. We are witnesses of this. By faith in the name of Jesus, this man whom you see and know was made strong. It is Jesus' name and the faith that comes through him that has completely healed him, as you can all see. 
And the reason I tell this story right now is first because it's awesome, and second because this is Peter. And Peter, out of all the disciples, messes up the most. And just a few chapters before this, he completely disowns Jesus three times in Jesus' hour of need. But he is here, and he's empowered by the Holy Spirit, and he's bringing supernatural healing because he's a witness, because he lives like Jesus is Lord. Not always well, but he comes back, and he repents, and he keeps resubmitting himself to the authority of Jesus. So yes, there is so much room for there's so much grace in this. We keep saying this. There is more grace in Jesus than there will ever be sin in us. And that is really good news. Peter's story is a cycle of being blind, and now I see. I'm blind, and now I see. I'm blind, and now I see. And that's our story, too. Discipleship is a constant choice, millions of little acts of obedience. And that's why we live in community. So we can offer encouragement and corrections and accept encouragement and corrections. So we can spur one another on in love. So we can pray for each other. If I can encourage one practice among us, it would be that last one. Keep praying for each other. Keep putting the struggles of this community in front of Jesus. It has been so encouraging to see us grow in this recently together. And the more we trust the authority of Jesus, the more we give over to him, the more freedom he can bring. So let's just keep going with that. So that's, that's it. That's a rather simple message, and it's not a new one if you've been here for any length of time. And it's a rather unglamorous way to finish up 10 weeks of miracle stories. But if we want to be true disciples of Jesus, if we want all that he has for us, and I think we do, guys, and there is more than we know. If we want to see his kingdom come, we don't get to skip out on this part. Jesus exemplified obedience all the way to the cross, and it was hard for him. There is absolutely nothing glamorous about the cross, but there's also nothing more powerful. The cross is where Christ defeated once and for all death and sin and evil, where he solidified his kingdom forever, a kingdom of justice and mercy and righteousness where the lame walk and the blind see and where freedom reigns. And that kingdom is here and it is still coming. And we who know Jesus and have experienced what he has done are called to be witnesses, to use our freedom to see and to speak Yes, but more importantly, to live our day-to-day -day ordinary lives in this contested world like Jesus is Lord, like his kingdom is undeniably here. And to live like that takes more than theory and it takes more than awe and wonder we experience in doses. Being effective witnesses to Jesus means being obedient to his teachings and lifestyle. And that may not be glamorous, but when we do it, it's full of power. And so for a time of reflection, um, I'm going to invite the worship team to come on back up. And I'm going to pray Psalm 19 over us. And I just, I just invite you to use this time to ask God to see 
let you see where you're not seeing clearly. Ask him to point things out to you and to give that over to him. And let's see what, can, what he can do with that. Um, I chose Psalm 19 because it talks about the glory of God's creation and how it speaks without actually saying a word. And we are God's creation. And we are called to just be and live in a way that glorifies him without speaking a word. So that when we do speak, it's powerful and it means something because it's backed up by a life that looks like Jesus's. So thank you, Lord. The heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of his hands. Day after day, they pour forth speech. Night after night, they reveal knowledge. They have no speech. They use no words. No sound is heard from them. Yet their voice goes out to all the earth. Their words to the ends of the world. In the heavens, God has pitched a tent for the sun. It is like a bridegroom coming out of his chamber, like a champion rejoicing to run his course. It rises at one end of the heavens and makes its circuit to the other. Nothing is deprived of its warmth. The law of the Lord is perfect, refreshing the soul. The statutes of the Lord are trustworthy, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, giving joy to the heart. The commands of the Lord are radiant, giving light to the eyes. The fear of the Lord is pure, enduring forever. The decrees of the Lord are firm and all of them righteous. They are more precious than gold, than much pure gold. They are sweeter than honey, than honey from the honeycomb. By them, your servant is warned. In keeping them, there is great reward. But who can discern their own errors? Forgive my hidden faults. Keep your servant also from willful sins. May they not rule over me. Then I will be blameless, innocent of great transgression. May these words of my mouth and this meditation of my heart be pleasing in your sight. Lord, my rock and my redeemer. May it be so, Lord.